Hey there, Story Fam. How y'all doing? Doing good? Good. I'm glad you're here. Hope you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night. Those of you who enjoyed it, uh, you with small children at home and pets probably did not enjoy it as much because they don't abide by the same rules uh, all the time. But but hey, uh, I do hope you're feeling good and feeling rested. We've had a big week at the Story, a couple of uh, town hall meetings, and uh, and we're just one step closer to this massive transition, the biggest challenge or change that the story's ever undergone as a community. And, uh, and so we shared a little bit about that at our town hall meetings. Thank you all uh, for coming out, those of you who did. And, and uh, we're really, really excited about this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, so uh, at the end of this year, by the end of this year, the story will no longer be meeting on this campus. Um, we're moving our main campus here to another location that we can't announce yet but we're getting very, very close. If Pastors Eric and Gio look a little happier today, there's reasons why. We can't quite fully share yet, but we're very, very close to some very exciting news being shared with, uh, with all of y'all. But I just wanted y'all to know, if this is your last Sunday for a while and, and you're gonna be out for holidays or whatever, and you wanna come back in January, we're not gonna be here in January, so uh, just kind of keep your eyes and ears open for the news as we announce it later this month. It's, it's super, super exciting. So God has been all over this and has been just so gracious and kind. And going through this change uh, this year, and really 2020 was a year of tremendous change as well, right? It's really gotten me thinking a lot about change because if something, if there's one thing we all hold in common, it's just we all get rocked by change from time to time. And, and we get caught off guard by it, which is funny because we are told from our youth that the only constant in life is what? Change. So we should be ready for it. But the nature of change is that it is surprising to us. We don't always see it coming. We're not prepared for it. And it can be really spiritually um, and otherwise really detrimental to us if we're not ready. So what we're gonna talk about for the next few weeks is this exactly, change. And uh, the series is called Change for the Better, and I want to try and have conversations that equip us for the next massive wave of change that comes. Because if we know anything, we know that things are bound to change again. You might find yourself in a time of great upheaval and disruption right now, and this is gonna hit home for you, and you're gonna be like, why didn't I think of this before all this happened to me? And some of you are like, well, nothing has changed for me in a long time, and I feel like I'm coasting, and I'm okay with that. Or some of you are like, I wish something would change. Um, wherever you're at in the cycle, what we're going to talk about today is that, is that you can expect things to move. You can expect disruption. And that's exactly the way God designed it. But sometimes lately, it feels like I can't keep up with the change. Things are changing too quickly, right? Just when I think I've got a handle on life, something changes. Like for years, people told me that cool preachers wear skinny jeans. <laughs> and then last week, my kids are like, skinny jeans are out, dad, and they have been forever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I need like a stipend to rebuild my wardrobe. That's all I have because y'all told me it was cool. And now it's not. Everything changes and it changes too quickly for us to keep up with Sometimes, I mean, I've got like half my friends right now are cheering for some guy named Brandon, like telling him to like go somewhere. I don't even know who he is. I don't know where he's supposed to be going. One of my friends is like, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you say some three word thing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not for sale, you guys, okay? I'm not gonna do it. 
Okay, so things, I can't even keep up with the trends. I can't keep up with every new thing, right? Even things that seem to be working well are facing pressure to change. Big corporations that are success stories, you know, like Facebook, for example, announced this week that it's meta now. And they're building something called the metaverse, which sounds strangely like the Matrix meets Ready Player One, which if you know either of those films or, or books, uh, it doesn't bode well for us. <laughs> We're facing a dark and dystopian future. But lucky for us, Mark Zuckerberg's at the helm, so I'm sure we're in good hands. <laughs> okay, so y'all keep coming to church. If for no other reason, <laughs> then the metaverse is coming, okay? So why change Facebook? It seemed to be a successful brand. It's because change is the nature of things, and a lot of people know that if you're not changing, you're dying. If you're not changing, you're stagnant. And so change is not just an external reality. It's something we should welcome. It's something we should seek even, right? That doesn't mean that all change is good. There are changes in the world that we would not uh, necessarily call good. Somebody's calling a preacher on a Sunday morning. Why? And <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are things that we could say are bad about the way the world's changing. I'm not really sure any of us can say for sure whether the technological advances we're seeing right now are good or bad. The way that our phones memorize things for us and our brain, that part of the brain that used to memorize stuff is just like mush now. Like I'm not sure that's a good thing that we don't remember numbers anymore or or we don't have to remember to set the clock back. It sets itself back. Now, do you know what kind of torture pastors used to live in twice a year on the fall back and spring forward? Like you'd wake up and go, what time is it really? You know, like, am I late or am I early? Like um, now we don't have to worry about it. Apple does it for us or whatever phone you have. And, you know, there's all kinds of other technological advances, like just the connectivity of our lives. Is it a good thing that we're 24-7 available and connected? Or was it a better thing when you didn't, take your laptop on vacation, when a vacation was a vacation. Remember those days? Some of you don't even remember those days. Some changes I'm not so sure about. Well, one thing we can be sure of is that the world is constantly changing. And, uh, and so we should be prepared for it at a minimum. Because I think that every season of change represents a, a fork in the road. A dramatic shift, like a paradigm shift, uh, a sort of inflection point, I guess, where when you reach this fork in the road, you can grow and thrive and, and be stretched in good ways, or you can tailspin at these inflection points. So the question is, if you've been surprised by change before in ways that weren't always good, how can you prepare yourself for the next change ahead? All right, so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. And what the first thing I'll say biblically about this is the Bible sets us up to expect change. This is not something that is occurring because of the fall or sin or whatever. God designed life to be seasonal. And so if you're in a great season, just enjoy it while it lasts. But don't get entitled about it and think this is how your life should always be. It's going to change. And if you're in a tough season, the other side of that coin is that season will change too. So hold on. It's going to get better. This is what the Bible says about seasons and time and change from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. 
He writes, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So it may come as a surprise to you that some of the times that we don't often equate with biblical or godly thinking, times to hate or times to war, that these are parts of God's design as well in this world today, that, that God created the seasons for change because in every different season, we learn different things about God and about ourselves and our purpose here. And, and so this, is, this should be good news for us overall, although it's hard. Change is always hard. But the beautiful thing, we even saw it this week, right? The beautiful thing about seasons. I mean, it's, like, it's almost like the Astros lost the World Series and the sun went away. Because it was like summer, and then the Astros lost, and then it was fall. It was beautiful all of a sudden, but cold. You don't like cold weather. You got cold for the first time this week, and you already missed the summer. But some of y'all were ready for summer to end. Amen? The summer becomes the fall. That's the most adamant amen I've ever gotten at the story. Summer becomes the fall. Fall becomes winter. Winter becomes spring. Spring becomes summer again. Or in Houston, we have different seasons, right? Hot becomes really hot becomes hellfire and brimstone, don't go outside, hot, becomes not as hot, becomes three-day ice storm with no power grid, <laughs> becomes hot again. But the seasons are, are designed by God to change. And so there's a lesson in that alone for us. But I, I don't just want this to be about absorbing change. This series of three weeks is not just about coping with change. It's not self-help. I want us to be aggressive about this and assertive and think as leaders. This is a leadership series about change because you, at some level, are a leader. Stay-at-home moms are leaders. Students are leaders. Children, young adults, older adults, retired adults, leaders. Because leadership is plainly and I think basically defined this way. Leadership is influence with people. And so there's someone you're leading. And the reason leadership and change go together is because leaders prepare themselves and the people they're leading for the next wave of change before it hits so that when it hits, you're not swept away by the tide, right? So what would that mean for you as a leader? What needs to change? The point of leadership in, in this series is that leadership has the potential to change everything like very little else in the world can. You're always becoming a reflection of whoever you're following. That's why we say we're following Jesus. We're trying to become reflections of him. And the people you're leading will also become reflections of you. So what are you emulating? What are you revealing or showing them about, about what it means to live through change? There's a few things I want to talk about today about leadership, and this will be this part will be quick. Uh, no, it won't, but it won't be long. Okay, so 
three quick things about preparing yourself to lead through the next change more effectively than you led through the last one. So this is leading your own life and the lives of those who look up to you for influence. The first thing that came to mind this week as I, as I thought about this is just the importance of vision. And so leading through change means having the faith to cast a vision. A vision is a powerful thing. The writer of Proverbs says that without a vision, people perish, they die. It's a very dramatic, over-the-top way of saying it, but maybe it's not that over-the-top at all because maybe without a vision of where you're going, maybe it's a lot easier to die on the vine of hopelessness and despair. So maybe vision really is that important. And anyone can cast a vision. It is simply this. It is a mental picture of a preferred future. So from a believer's perspective, I know not everybody here is a believer yet. We hope that you will be one day, but that's okay if you're not. It's totally fine. From a believer's perspective, it is the projection of a mental image of God's preferred future for your life and the lives of those you're leading. And this is not a science. You don't have to figure this out. It's very clear in Scripture. God wants people to be holy to to have a relationship with him, to be listening to him, talking to him. God wants people to be with him forever and to make disciples, to tell the world about the gospel. That's what God wants for us. That's his preferred future for our lives. But it's so interesting to me how little we talk of vision when the Bible is so adamant about it. There's this story in the Old Testament that it's actually uh, the whole first, I don't know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Joshua tell the story of the people of God called the Israelites being slaves, full-on slaves of the, of the Egyptian empire. And, and, and God freed them from their chains in miraculous ways, set them free to enjoy their life outside of Egypt, outside of slavery, and the minute God set them free, guess what? It wasn't all that cracked up to be. They were like, can we just go back? Can we go back to the chains, to the slavery? Because at least we ate there without having to worry. This is hard. This change is hard, Moses. And that's the theme for a lot of the first five books or so of the Bible. And so you had to have visionary leadership to keep these discouraged people going. And there's this particular story in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, where Moses and Aaron, the two leaders, had sent out scouts into the land God was sending them into, right? The promised land. And the scouts came back freaked out. And they were like, we can't go where God's telling us to go because everyone there is huge, like physically huge. They're giants and they will murder us and make us slaves again. Let's just go back. At least we know those owners in Egypt. We can go back and, and have a life again. This is what happened. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 10. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. That's fear and anxiety talking, right? And it says, uh, if only we had died. But why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? We're gonna die here. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So group think happening. You see all these dynamics right, happening. 
And then Moses said to Aaron, I'm sorry, Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, or however you say that, were among those who had explored the land. They were the scouts. But these two guys, unlike the other guys who got freaked out, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, here's the vision, here's the vision. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Think of how unimaginable it was that a people who had never owned anything could own beautiful land, that God would actually deliver on a promise to give the people not only freedom, but a future and a hope and a home. This is ludicrous. These people are like, we don't deserve this that you're saying God is promising. It can't be true. We're going back. And Joshua just, and, and Caleb just kept saying, no, there's something here. God's leading us here. If we just believe and cooperate, says he will lead us through the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> that's the end of it. So that's the last verse. Because casting vision is always risky. It will always invite criticism. Because when you're leading people who are afraid, they will not believe the vision that you cast. Not at first. The actual important thing to do is to already have the, the vision implanted in their minds before the crisis comes. So this is work you want to do before the wave of change hits. You want to remind people who they really are and what their purpose really is before chaos ensues so that they have something to stand on when a lot of us wait and then the wave hits us and we're all drowning. We're like, that's not who you are. You know, it's like we, we, we do our best. And if that's where you are, do your best. But I'm telling you, we should probably think more ahead and plan better and, and use the calm seas that God lets us sail sometimes to prepare for the wavy, stormy seas that lie ahead, okay? So it's not just in the Old Testament that we see examples of vision, but, but Jesus was a master vision caster too. Y'all, Jesus gathered people whom no one ever saw anything good in, and he cast a vision for them unlike anything they had ever heard before. And then guess what? They lived up to the vision he cast. Example, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. His longest sermon, longer than this one even, if you can believe it. And then Jesus said to the people after the Beatitudes, he said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Now, I can't imagine Jesus looking me in the eyes and telling me, Eric Huffman, you are the light of the world. I'm like, surely you've got someone better. The salt of the earth. But, but the people that Jesus said this to, if you look at Matthew 4, the people that were gathered around Jesus at that time, they were the peasant class, the nobodies. They were the nameless, faceless nobodies of the Roman Empire. They were the country folk. They were the... In some cases, the paralyzed, the sick, the prostitutes, the thieves that were all coming to him for healing and forgiveness. That's who Jesus looked at and said, you're the light of the world. Go light it up. You're the, you're the, you're the, the salt of the earth. Go season it, flavor it, preserve it. And at first, I can only imagine they did not believe him. 
But we know the story that history tells is that once Jesus was gone, the movement continued. And the ones who carried it forward were those nobodies that Jesus said were the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Eventually, they believed it. When the storm of his crucifixion hit, it shook them, but they had the vision embedded in them, right? It's a beautiful thing, a vision. But here's the question. When was the last time you cast a vision for yourself, a vision of God's preferred future? When was the last time you codified, like you wrote down or recited like a mantra, God's preferred future for your life or for the lives of those you're leading? Parents, when was the last time you you made it an intentional effort to cast a vision, God's vision for your children's lives, right? This is, the, this is the, where it really meets the road for us, guys, because what a vision looks like in day-to-day life is a father looking at his son who made, let's say, middle school, high school age son who is just in a rut, who is just making mistake after mistake after mistake, and every time he makes a mistake, he believes in himself a little bit less, He's spending more time playing video games, less time doing productive things or things that he used to love. He can just feel his son slipping away from him, but the father looks at his son and sees what he's always seen. He sees the same hope, the same vision that he saw the first time he held this baby in the hospital. And he reminds his son, son, I know who you think you are. I've been there, son. I know what it's like to look in the mirror and see a distorted, disappointing version of yourself. I know you're internalizing what your teachers or your friends or your siblings are saying about you, but I I know who you really are. That's not who you are. You're my son. And I've known you longer than anyone. And I love you. I'm your father. I love you. And nothing you do or don't do will ever change that. And more importantly, there's someone else who loves you even more than me. And I don't mean your mama. I mean God in heaven. You're his son. And his love is is a free gift. And it's all yours. And you mean everything to him. That's who you really are. That's what your life really is about. Now, that son might not believe it at first, but you're planting a seed there that might sustain him through the next wave of change. When was the last time you did something like that, guys? Really? I'll never forget a counseling session one time in, in, the, in the office here, and it was a couple, and they were in crisis, and the, the husband was just freaking out. He was lost because he spent his whole adult life trying everything he could to not become his father. This is about 50% of the counseling that I do (laughs) as a pastor, is a man who doesn't want to be his father. There's just something archetypal about this struggle. But but he, he lost his job. He lost his way. He just made bad choice after bad choice and ended up becoming, in some very important ways, an image of his father in ways he despised but he started to internalize and believe it. And his wife, God love her, she refused to give up on this husband who was so lost and had been for so long. She took his, his cheeks, his face in her hands at first and then later took his hands in hers and she just kept making eye contact and saying, I know what you think about yourself. I can see it in your eyes, the despair, the disappointment, but you are not your father. You are not your dad. You are not a failure or a disappointment. You are not the man you think you are when you look in the mirror. You are the man I chose on our wedding day, and I chose a great man, a great man of God, and that's who you really are. That's vision. 
And that's power. That's just powerful. Very little brings change in someone's life like a godly and good vision can. But it takes faith because you always hit resentment, you hit doubt, you hit, you, you hit, you'll even be despised and resented for it. Like Joshua, and they're like, they, all they could talk about was stoning them after. Like sometimes that's how it feels. But when we cast a vision, there's power in it. That's what leadership through times of change looks like. Second, the other two points won't be as long, I promise. But second, humility to be vulnerable. Humility to be vulnerable, all right? So uh, there's something that happens to people, especially men, during times of great up- upheaval and disruption. We want everyone who we're leading to think we know things we do not know, and we're, control- we're in control of things we actually are not in control of at all. It's an insecurity problem for a lot of us. I experienced this big time in COVID when suddenly everything changed and every pastor is supposed to know how to lead his or her church through this. And none of us knew. It was uncharted waters. And you know what I did? I froze at first. I was paralyzed by fear and just a lack of knowing. But at the same time, anytime someone would question me, Giovanna would be like, well, what are we doing here? Eric, you're the lead pastor. Like, what's the plan? And I would be like, I know what I'm doing. I'll be right with you. (laughs) I would be offended by the questions. And I pretended to be offended by the idea that they would question my knowledge or my wisdom or my expertise. But really, I was just scared because the answers they were looking for, I did not have. And I had this sneaking suspicion they knew I didn't have the answers. Well, leading through change requires the leader to dispose of that illusion of, of being the, the, the know-it-all, the answer man, of being the resident expert. There's a great movie about leadership. It's the best movie on leadership I've ever seen, and it's not Gladiator or Braveheart, okay? The best leadership movie I've ever seen is The Wizard of Oz, okay? So the one image of leadership that everyone buys into in the beginning in the whole, you know, dream, fever dream that she had or whatever, is the wizard, the mighty wizard behind the curtain who has all the answers, all the wisdom, and all the peasants know when they have a question, they have to find their way to the wizard and he'll have the answer. He is the one source of all his wisdom. But of course, by the end of the movie, the wizard is proven to be a fraud. And the real leader, the whole movie, all along was Dorothy, who didn't know where she was or what she was doing, but, but she gathered her friends and said, I'm not sure what's next. And then, and then the, the munchkins sang and the monkeys flew. I don't know what happened next, but like, I had a lot of nightmares about it. But, um, but she, she was humble. She was vulnerable. And we saw that in the Numbers 14 passage as well. Two examples of it. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes, a real act of humility and vulnerability, like, what are we doing here? Just desperation. But also Moses and Aaron, they threw themselves face down in front of the people, an act of humility and vulnerability. We see this with Jesus too. He never said, I don't know the way. That would have been a lie. He's Jesus. But he did make himself vulnerable more than one occasion. He wept, he felt, he hurt. When, when they, the bad guys were coming to arrest him that night, that they were coming to take him away, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he said to his buddies, just please be with me. He's Jesus, the son of God, all powerful Jesus. And he's just like, please just, just be with me. Hang out with me, be present, pray with me. Keep watch with me. 
You know, Jesus was vulnerable, and that's something, there's something we need to see there. When change strikes, you don't need to have all the answers. Sometimes the most powerful moment in your life is when the leader, maybe it's you in any given situation, when the leader is willing to say, I don't know the way. Now, we, one last thing about this. We should not confuse vulnerability and humility with defenselessness, all right, or susceptibility or anything. Vulnerability, as believers, vulnerability just means we are allowed to be vulnerable because God is powerful. We're allowed to be weak because God is strong. We're allowed to not have the answers because we trust that God has them. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says to the people, I, the Lord your God, do not change. Everything else does. Everything else changes constantly with the seasons, but I, the Lord your God, do not change. And Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so they say the only constant in life is change, but there's one thing that's more constant than change, and that is God. And so we can be vulnerable because we stand on the firm rock that is God, he who does not change. That's the source of our vulnerability and our humility. Third and finally, to lead well through times of great seismic change requires the courage to go. And the crazy thing about the Bible is is the leaders that led the best, the leaders we look up to the most, when they went, they didn't know where they were going. They just went. Sometimes, like I I talked about myself in COVID, we get paralyzed by by the fear that comes with change. And we don't know where to go, so we just stop. Some of y'all are there right now. You're just stuck because you're waiting to figure out where you should go before you start walking. That's not how it works with God. With God, you start walking, and then he shows you. (laughs) That's how it works with, with, with Abraham. In Genesis 12, when God called him, it just says, so Abraham went. He didn't know where he was going. He just started walking. That's how it worked with Moses and the slaves as they left Egypt. That's how it worked with Jesus' disciples. When he was crucified and resurrected, before he went to be with the Father, he gathered them together and said, I'm going. I'm going to be with the Father. It's your show now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't tell them an exact destination. He just said, start walking. And sometimes what it means to lead through change is to have the courage to start putting one foot in front of the other and trusting God to show you the way. Now, if you're not experiencing a great time of change or upheaval right now, this is your preparation season. And some of you are in, a, are, are in the thick of it, and this is just your hold on for dear life season. And I've been there. I know what it's like. But don't let the preparation season pass without casting a vision, without being humble enough to be vulnerable, and without being courageous enough to, show, to lead by example and to put one foot in front of the other, to go. Right? So this is, I think, important for, for all of us to know. Before the next wave hits, Set yourself, your family, and those you're leading on the solid rock that is God. Because we're all worn out. COVID, 2021 at the story. There's a lot of change happening here. It doesn't have to rock us or shake us or take us down.
All we need to do is trust God and lead others to do the same. So, I want you to think about two things, and this is it. Reflect, we never reflect anymore. It's another thing we've lost, in addition to the attention span and the memory. We never reflect. Reflect on a time change took you by surprise and shook you. And now, as simple as it sounds, think about the fact that more seasons of change are coming. What can you do now to prepare yourself to lead yourself and others better in the next wave than you did in the past? Hope is not a strategy. Good feelings are not a strategy. Being nice is not a strategy. What disciplines, practices can you put in place right now to prepare yourself and those you care about, those you're leading, for the waves of change that are inevitable in the future? Ask God to show you the way and then have the courage to step out in faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our leader, for showing us what real leadership looks like. Thank you for casting a vision for us and reminding us that we are, in spite of our own doubts about ourselves, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. Father, help us to believe it. Help us have the faith to accept that vision and project it for those we're leading. Lord, help us as well to be humble enough to be vulnerable, to shed any notion of, of being the resident expert or having all the answers, but just to be real, to get on our knees, to fall on our faces and say, I don't know the answers, show me the way. And when you do show us the way, when you pick us up, dust us off and set us on a path, give us the courage to put one foot in front of the other again. We love you, Father. And we thank you for all that you are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.